I guess until I sat down and wrote the book, I didn't really realize how all these different stories that I touch on in the introduction and chapter one of the book, how they really did form who I've become as a photographer and particularly as a conservation advocate. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife lovers and animal advocates, presented by the Fur Bears. We're only a week away from the first Defender Radio family Christmas special, and to get everyone in the festive mood, I'm giving away a wonderful gift with this week's episode. John Marriott's new book, Tall Tales and Long Lenses, is the subject of my interview with him, and we have a signed copy of the book waiting to go out to your home. All you have to do for your chance to win is sign up for Defender Radio email updates. That's it. Just go to thefurbears.com slash updates, fill in your info, opt in to receive the weekly e-news as well as Defender Radio updates, and you'll be in the draw. Links to this are available on this week's Defender Radio blog and across social media channels. Again, just visit thefurbears.com slash updates, opt in to receive both emails, and you'll be entered to win. The draw will take place at the end of the week to ensure delivery by Christmas. John Marriott is a wonderful wildlife photographer. I've had the good fortune to chat with him in the past about his work, particularly on the subjects of ethics and advocacy. When I saw the news that he'd released a new book, I immediately tweeted him, asking for a review copy and an interview. Then I emailed him. And to be honest, I think I might have called his house at 3 a.m. once or twice. But long story short, I loved the book. I wrote a review of Tall Tales, Long Lenses, My Adventures in Photography, for the Fur Bears, and managed to tie down John for an interview between his numerous signings and speaking engagements in recent weeks. We discussed the process of developing this new book, what it was like to invite readers into his memories and life, and why one of Canada's most popular wildlife photographers is also one of Canada's most outspoken conservationists. We'll get to the interview after this brief message from our supporters. Looking for a parka that'll keep you warm in Canada's extreme winters and not harm the animals? Check out Woolly Outerwear, a Toronto-based, made-in-Canada ethical company that utilizes military-grade technology to keep you warm and help save the lives of animals. Portions of every sale go to support the fur bears and animal sanctuary. I embrace my wild side by wearing Woolly, and you can too. Learn about their commitments to the environment, the animals, and the people they work with, as well as how to buy at WoollyOuterwear.com or anywhere on social media. What was the inspiration for doing this book with these stories? Because doing a book is not a new concept for you, but this format feels new. Yeah, I've done quite a few different coffee table photography books in the past, um, five different ones actually beforehand, and this this one I really wanted to be more of a storytelling type of book. So it still is a coffee table photography book. There's still uh, 150 gorgeous big full color photographs in it. Um, but there's also a considerable, considerable amount of text and, uh, and sort of stories behind the photos and stories of what led to the photos um, and, and, and even stories about some of the characters in the book. Uh, there's probably 11 or 12 different characters that I cover in the book. They're ranging from Delinda the Wolf to Frank the Tank, the Grizzly Bear, uh, and even including a human character, Trapper, Trapper Ivan from the, Arctic, or from the Yukon. Mm-hmm. And you, you make a note 
uh, relatively early on that you wanted to do this in chronological order. And we'll get to some of the stories in a minute, but what was the desire to do it in this format? Because it, it reads almost like an autobiography in many ways. Yeah, and it does read a bit like an autobiography. Um, I think the chronological part of it was because, um, so let me just back up a little bit and tell you a bit of the impetus behind doing the book itself um, and why I chose 2017 to do it. Um, so there's sort of two key reasons. And number one is I made my first sale as a professional photographer to Canadian Geographic in January of 1997. So this was the 20-year anniversary of my first sale as a pro. Hmm. Uh, so that was one of the things that played a key role in this. And then the other one was back in 2003, I did this trip up to the Yukon and had all kinds of crazy adventures over a month-long period up there. And during that trip, I was emailing my friends back in Banff and Canmore uh, in Alberta in the Canadian Rockies, emailing them with... Uh, with all these anecdotes and, you know, what was going on and these crazy tales. And I got back and sat down with a couple of friends, uh, a couple of girlfriends, and we were sitting in a pub and they said, you know, let's see these pictures of this trap arrive and, and this midnight shootout and all this crazy stuff that happened to you. And I kind of looked at them blankly and said, well, I don't have photos of that stuff. <laughs> I was busy chatting away to these people or taking part in these adventures. So, mm -hmm. I kind of realized, oh, geez, you know, I missed this whole opportunity to to pass along some of this stuff. And and one of the girls said, uh, you know, you got to start documenting this stuff. You, you got to write a book about this. And I joked to her, yeah, I'll call it Tall Tales, Long Lenses. And she said, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Write that down. <laughs> and uh, so that was all the way back in 2003. And uh, that was really, you know, the, the idea started ruminating in my brain right then and there. And it took me till this sort of 20 year anniversary before I thought, you know what, I've got this perfect collection of chronological tales with all these different photographs that go together that would make a great book that would not only have people, you know, popping it open and going, oh, wow, look at the pretty pictures, but would also read it and go, wow, that's really cool story. That's interesting storytelling. And so that was my, my goal with the book and choosing to do it this year and choosing to do it chronologically. I definitely think that you uh, you accomplished those goals in reading. I mean, I when I got my uh, review copy, uh, reading through it, it reminded me of reading um, some of like Roy McGregor's old stuff. Uh, uh, he's, I believe, with the Globe and Mail now or the National. I don't remember. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, Roy's with the Globe and Mail. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a huge compliment, um, considering that I think Roy has won. Uh, a number of awards in Canada for his wilderness writing. So it's, well, uh, it, it's, that's, that's, it definitely has the same feel though, a very personal reflective, um, but always sort of with a, a purpose behind the story. It's never just a, you know, here's a pretty picture. Um, there's, there's a story behind it. And I don't want to go into to the stories too much because that's half the fun of this book. Um, but one of the early ones you, you talk about, you were fishing with your family, with your, your brother and your dad, you thought you saw a Sasquatch footprint, which comes up a lot. We're going to have to have a talk about that, um, which turned out to be a grizzly bear footprint. And you note that that's when life took on a new course. What was it like retrospectively looking back at some of these moments and sort of realizing how they helped define the direction in which you went? Yeah, it was, it was very interesting looking back at them because I, I guess until I sat down and wrote the book, I didn't really realize how everything all these different stories that i touch on in the introduction and chapter one of the book 
how they really did form who I've become as a photographer and, and particularly as a conservation advocate. And so I can, I can literally see it and, and people will read it as they read through chronologically through these different little stories and see these little pictures uh, from my childhood and, uh, um, you know, read about the, the old photo album that I used to keep with my Kodak Instamatic yeah, firing yeah. all these award-winning shots that were not award-winning at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then stories like, you know, the Sasquatch from Scotch Creek and, uh, you know, talking about how that led to my fascination with, uh, with big male grizzly bears and, uh, and my fight to, to shut down the trophy hunt of them uh, in Western Canada. You have a lot of incredible tales of the iconic Canadian wildlife that you're, you're known for taking photos of, like grizzly bears and wolves, and there's a couple of beautiful caribou herds. One of the things I, I really enjoyed is you've got one chapter um, where you talk about a wolverine encounter, but you also talk about uh, you know having these gorgeous photos of a marten, who I think are a very underappreciated uh, fur bear in Canada. What was the importance for you, both in including that diversity in the book, as well as in your photography when you're out and about? Um, well, I definitely wanted with the with the book and with my portfolio as a professional photographer to not just be known for bears and wolves. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, very specifically in the book, there were stories that I knew had been captivating to people on my website back in the day and, and things like that. So I knew my Pine Martin um, story and photographs would capture people's attention Um I knew that I had some owl and caribou shots and uh, and stories from the north that would include photographs of a wolverine of uh, of things that are just a little bit different than than my usual bears and wolves that I'm I'm most known for and uh, I think even even people that uh, get a chance to hear me speak at some point about the book will will even hear even more tales uh, where I talk about you know how I got some of my prairie shots and stuff stuff that didn't necessarily make it into the book but. The book itself, it uh, it does carry a pretty broad range of different animals and uh, characters, like I mentioned, and I I did that very much on purpose. I wanted it to sort of uh, you know have a broader scope um, and touch on a number of different issues, touch on a number of different stories, and uh, just be overall. I, I really wanted to be entertaining for people, um, and I think I've accomplished that. When you were preparing the book for publishing, I remember uh, I follow you on Facebook. Uh, your John E. Uh, uh, um, photography. Oh, I can't. What is it? There's an Johnny action. Marriott Wildlife and Nature That's Photography. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I followed that, and you were doing uh, sort of a voting on covers, uh, and it was really neat how you kind of went about doing it. Why did you decide to sort of take it to the people to uh, get opinions? On the, yeah, um, great, the great point. So I, I had picked out what I thought wanted to be the cover, um, and that was uh, Frank the Tank, and people will be able to see it on your website there or on my website. Um, a big sort of menacing, snarling-looking uh, grizzly bear that I came to know quite well. Um, and uh, that's what I wanted to be on the cover, but I sort of thought at the last second, you know, maybe I better just check some of my other really well-known photographs and, and sort of test them out and see if maybe I'm I'm wrong in my assumption that Frank the Tank should be the cover. And so I decided to do this online voting contest after I'd run sort of some of these options by a few friends and my graphic designer and stuff and um, 
sort of pitted some of my most famous photographs head to head. Fluff Up, which is a raven that uh, yep. placed me in the 2012 International Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition. Um, placed Fluff Up against Delinda the Wolf and against Casper the Friendly Bear and uh, pitted those guys against each other on an online cover battle and then took the winner of that, which was Casper the Friendly Bear, and pitted Casper against Frank the Tank. And 2,600 people voted online between Facebook and Instagram. So it was quite a quite a big turnout. And, mm-hmm. uh, and thankfully for me, Frank the Tank won very narrowly. Actually, when I first put them online, the first couple hours, Casper was winning, and I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, am I going to have to lie to everybody and tell them that Frank <laughs> Tank won? But thankfully, Frank did pull it out in the end, so... Uh, so that, you know, I was able to go with the image that I wanted to go with. And then I won't give away why I so badly wanted to go with that image of Fink, but it is described in the book, um, particularly in the final couple of chapters as mm-hmm. to, to sort of this misconception that's out there about grizzly bears and how I touch on it and uh, and describe my own feelings towards Frank and, uh, and other big male grizzly bears like him. There's an interesting note to readers, and this is not uncommon, I found, in photography books to say, you know, this is the process, and it's very, very brief. And it's, it's I think, only two paragraphs long, but uh, there, there's three things you hit on, and I kind of wanted to hear a bit about each of them. One is that you're intentionally vague with locations, um, in that you're, you're not going to say exactly where some of these animals were found. And I've heard this from other, you know, tour operators and photographers is that a real issue, um, especially out west where a lot of this takes place? Yeah, it definitely is a real issue. Um, I, I find that uh, if photographers are posting actual locations, so say they find an owl somewhere and post a location or post the GPS coordinates, uh, within a day or two there might be 20 photographers there. And wow. I just cannot contribute to that. And so I am extremely vague about locations. And uh, even on Facebook and Instagram, I... I very, very rarely put a real location or put any location at all. Uh, I'll just be extremely vague and say Alberta or the Canadian Rockies. Or uh, Often I do not post stuff that's current um, because I don't want people to necessarily know what I'm up to. I have people that sometimes follow me. It sounds uh, sounds ridiculous, but I will have cars that recognize my car and they'll pull in behind and say, oh, let's go see what John Mary is going to find. So I'm pretty careful when I'm out there as to what... uh, what I'm doing and uh, definitely with locations, uh, keep it as vague as possible. You also note that you don't bait and you and I have had a very large conversation about this. Um, but I thought we could have a very, very brief conversation about it for this one. Um, why for you is not baiting, uh, and making sure that you're taking these photos in their natural elements so important. I just think that as a photographer, there are so many people getting into wildlife photography right now that, uh, if everyone is out there and manipulating animals' behaviors just so they can get a photograph, that that is extremely selfish. And I, I just think it's selfish behavior on part of the photographer. And it is also um, causing the animal to not act in a natural manner. So, I mean, we're already causing the animal potentially to not act in a natural manner just by our presence alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I try and mitigate that as much as possible using camo and staying downwind and things like that. But uh, there's no doubt that just being there has, a, has an effect on animals. And so I want to minimize every other effect that I have on that animal. And if I were baiting or calling or trying to lure an animal in to do something, uh, I'm then changing its behavior. 
And to me, it's much more rewarding as a wildlife photographer to just be patient and wait for some natural behavior to unfold. And uh, that's what I'm after when I'm uh, out there taking pictures. I think that's also interesting because it plays into the other point you have in that paragraph that I want to talk about, and that's your editing process. Uh, I think my first exposure to this as a concept came when I worked in a newspaper and we would do photo editing. Um, and the the concept of only editing to make sure it prints well, especially with newsprint, as you know, it's it can be often very muddy. Um, yeah. But this comes up a lot with photographers, I think, for pets. Uh, we frequently see it. And I've, I've got a lot of friends who do pet photography. And that is the concept of, well, I like the way the dog looks in this picture, but the background in that picture a bit better. Um, right. Or the tail's looks funny in this one, but the tail looks right in that one. So they'll literally remove the tail from one photo and add the tail from the other. Uh, but you make a note that you you do minimal editing on your photos. Why for you is that an important part of this? Um, I just find that it's, it's sort of like the whole baiting thing over the edge. I prefer to things be natural as to what I actually captured. And there may be the odd little thing that I'll remove here or there, but uh, by and large, I just don't touch photos at all other than quickly doing color corrections on them and uh, and then a bit of sharpening and that's it. And then move on and uh, let it be printed as it was. So people looking through the book, if they're, you know, extremely critical about little twigs being in the way or this or that, you know, I don't remove any of those. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's just the way the photograph was. And, uh, you know, I I prefer to keep it that way uh, for the most part. It's always fun, though, to try um, and completely redo a photo that way. That's what I do because uh, I'm not a good <laughs> photographer. But. Uh, now, one question that came in from um, Marcy Potter, who works in the Fur Bears office, um, yeah. was what your favorite photo is of all time, gun to your head. Because you'll post one of your favorite photos or one of your favorite photos from a certain um, you know, event uh, or a certain trip. But do you have a single photo that you would say above all others that you've taken is the one that stands out? I don't know if I necessarily have an all-time favorite photo. Um, I've got, you know, as you alluded to, a a number that I will say are favorites. Um, For a long time, my, my favorite photo was actually one that I've never published and probably never will. And that's because it's of a a dead elk that's frozen in ice. Oh, wow. um, Which it's, teeth bared and uh you know it's it's heads kind of sticking up from the ice and you can see the antlers and stuff but it was a photo i took back when i was first starting in photography and i've always just loved the raw emotion of it but Mm -hmm. uh it's not not exactly one that's going to be popular on facebook or instagram or anything or in a book so it's kind of i've kept it to myself and other than describing it to you uh, it will probably never see the light of day but that's the kind of photo that to me often uh you know, makes me remember things. And I, I know, uh, there's a, there's another photo that's, um, part of one of the stories in the book, although did not, uh, the photo itself did not make it into the book. And, uh, it's a, a pine marten crunching onto the skull of a vole. Um, and not a great photo technically or anything, but I can actually still remember the crunch. Yep. And so to me, that's a photo that I've, I've always loved and cause it just brings back so many memories to me. Um, so, so my favorites, I guess, are ones that, you know, maybe aren't my best, uh, best shots. They're ones that instead evoke some sort of memory with me. And, you know, that's interesting because I, uh, I did a bit of photography when I worked with the newspaper because that's sort of just the, um, 
uh, nature of, of that level of journalism at the time. Uh, as you would be, I'm your new reporter, and they say, okay, here's your camera. You're also our new photographer. Um, but there, <laughs> there's times when I'll have, you know, like a Facebook memory or something pop up, and it's it's a picture from a uh, crime scene or a collision or something, and it's a very standard picture. And then I remember the actual picture that I took and we didn't publish. Uh, and, you know, it's the hand that's fallen out from under a blanket on a gurney. Um, and it's not something you'd ever publish, and it's a horribly depressing photo. But it just elicits that whole range of emotions I felt in the moment, too. Uh, so I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Um, the power of that kind of a photo, especially to the For person sure. who was yeah. there, uh, even mm -hmm. though it may not be popular with others. Um, yeah. But talking about uh, the book, what really comes across, and, and I've had a few conversations with you, and I've... I've gotten this, but reading it in the book, it really is present, is the growth of you as an advocate from, and it started early, which is sort of the, the fun part of it. But throughout the book, as you tell some of these stories, the very real frustration and anger and sadness with what you've seen while out trying to capture beautiful photos or what you've learned about the way an animal ended up being treated or died um, is very, very apparent. Was that part of the intent to, to show that side of yourself in a very real and raw way. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say that the intent, but it just, it's, uh, I mean, the way the book is constructed and everything and the way that I am as a photographer and as an advocate, um, it was just a natural part of the story. Um, and, and each little story along the way continues to lend to that. And like you say, it, you know, there's, continued little, I wouldn't call them messages, but there's just little hints and, and, um, you know, sadness is brought up, like you mentioned, and, and disgust and anger at how wildlife is managed and things like that. But it, it's not, it's an overarching theme in the book, as opposed to being the central theme. The central theme is still, I wanted it to be an entertaining book for people and a storytelling book, mm -hmm. um, and then have this as sort of this underlying um, current that runs throughout the book. Um, and like you said, it is chronological. I did start at a very young age. And to me, um, you know, there's there's two things that are important to me about photography. And one is making sure that I can pay my bills. So that I have to make a living at it as my job. But the second thing is, um, you know, continuing the passion that I have for, for helping wildlife um, and being an advocate for these species that don't have a voice on their own. And I want to be very clear. Um, this book has some of that frustration and anger and sadness, but it also certainly has the excitement and the beauty and the joy, um, which I think it's, it's wonderful that you've balanced those. Um, so we see you as the advocate of being frustrated and, as I said, angry and sad, but then just the the pleasure at seeing some beautiful things, at being a part of something wonderful. Um, when you look at the book, do you get both of those emotions? Like, do you feel that? I mean, obviously, you're going to feel pride in, in, in a wonderful accomplishment with the book itself. But in looking at the stories and the photos, are you able to sort of navigate through it and feel um, and remember those ups and downs? Yeah, for sure. And I think even people that, that pop open the book and just look at the photographs without even reading the stories will, will even get a hint of, 
Because not all the photos are the big, glorious, beautiful, uplifting ones. Certainly, yeah. there's a lot of those that uh, that I'm very, very proud of to have in the book, and that you know really are eye-catching. But there's also a few mixed in there, like the uh, the Inuit hunter with the grizzly bear, and I won't say any more beyond that. But uh, you know, they're just photos that make you go, "Wow, what's going on there?" Yeah. Um, and you know, I will be clear: it's not a there's no there's no dead animals in the book or anything. So people don't need to worry about uh, worry about looking at that kind of stuff. But uh, just photos that pique your curiosity and go, what the heck is going on there? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, um, and then once people start reading it, uh, and these stories really do come out, uh, even more and, and, the, the various little messages and the frustration and stuff. But then, like you said, I, I really wanted it to be uplifting and inspiring as well. And I think, uh, I've managed to accomplish that, particularly the feedback that I've been getting in the last, three weeks since the book came out uh it really sounds like a lot of people are finding it very uplifting and inspiring which was really one of my goals with it you can order a copy of john's book or see some of his incredible photography at wildernessprints.com john e marriott wildlife photography can also be found on facebook twitter and instagram remember for a chance to win a copy of tall tales long lenses signed by john Visit thefurbears.com slash updates and sign up to get e-news and Defender Radio updates. That's the show for this week, folks. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And remember to follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio and Instagram at Howie Michael for updates on the show, adorable dog pictures, and more. Next week is my first audio drama and the Defender Radio Family Christmas Special. So make sure you've signed up for email updates and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app or device. I can't wait to share it with all of you. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.